Father, as we come to this text in uh, Genesis uh, and we see this long list of names, uh, you look, some of us have a tendency to want to just skip over these names, Lord, but, but they're in the, your word for a reason. Your whole word from Genesis to Revelation is anointed by your spirit. Uh, it's uh, written by men who were moved by your spirit. And for some reason, you put these names in here, Lord, and I think we're going to see that reason today. And just how important the names are to, the biblical names are to the meaning and message of this text. And so, Father, I just ask that uh, you show us that lesson today. And, uh, Lord, as we look at these names, and, Lord, also as we uh, are mindful of the most important name uh, ever given, and that's the name of Jesus. And we know that, Lord, uh, just what that name means, but, but, Lord, all that it means we don't know. Uh, we we just thank you for, for who you are in Christ, and we thank you for uh, your word that you've revealed yourself to us through, and we just thank you for the way you bless us by studying your word. Lord, how our minds can be transformed, our hearts can be transformed by, by giving diligent attention to your word. So I ask today that you just open our hearts and minds to, to hear what you would have us to hear in this, this uh, text uh, on this genealogy of Adam and Seth, and I just ask that you bless it by the power of your Holy Spirit. I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. William Shakespeare, in his play, Romeo and Juliet, wrote the following line. He said, what's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. So what he was saying is that names really don't matter when it comes to naming flowers, but names do matter uh, in the Bible because every name in the Bible is given there for a reason. And I believe that there's a message in these names. And so as we come to this genealogy in chapter number five of Genesis, uh, a lot of people would just kind of run over this, maybe not even read the names and jump all the way over to chapter six. There's going to be some of these genealogies, i got to tell you, I don't know I'm going to go through every name. But if you've got the time and you're in a Bible study and you get to one of these genealogies, they are there for a reason. And every one of those names that are given there matter. They have a meaning and they have a message to us. And, and we're going to see that, uh, uh, I think, in the quintessential passage on names when we look at uh, chapter number five, actually, I would say the genealogies of Christ over in Matthew and Luke are the quintessential passages on names, but this fits right into that, and I think you're going to see that, and I think you're going to see just how important it is to look at names and to study names as we come to this genealogy today. And so we're going to we're going to go through it in detail, and and hopefully. Uh, you'll, you'll, you'll see the message that God wants to give us here. Now, Adam and Eve had lots of children, lots of sons and lots of daughters. Uh, but we only get two genealogies here of Adam. We get the genealogy of his first son, Cain, and the genealogy of his third son, Seth. And so we don't get the genealogy of Abel, and we don't get the genealogy of any of the other sons and daughters. Now, why are we given the genealogy of Cain and the genealogy of Seth? Well, remember, Cain represents the seed of the serpent. He represents those who are lost. He represents those who are godless in this world. 
Seth represents the seed of the woman, the seed through which the Messiah would come. He represents the people of faith. He represents the people of God. And so you, you would expect to see a difference in the genealogy of Cain and the genealogy of Seth. And you'll actually see that in the names as we look at these names and we see that the message is given to us, the, the message that's given to us through these names. Now, uh, we don't see any more of Cain because when did his genealogy end? It ended at the flood. But the genealogy of Seth carries on all the way through to David and then from David all the way through to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. In fact, if you'll turn in your Bibles for a minute, hold your place there in Genesis, and turn to Luke chapter 5, and you, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 3, and look down at verse number 38, and look at this last verse here. We see the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Right here in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, we see the genealogy of Seth. In fact, you can carry it on back, all the way back to, to uh, uh, Canaan, all the way back to Noah. So, so you can carry this all the way back until the time of the flood. And so, so uh, by looking for verse 36, 37, and 38, we're not going to do that today, but, but we're going to look at the genealogy here in Genesis that appears there in uh, Jesus' genealogy in Luke chapter 3. And as we look at the genealogy, we're going to see a big difference in these characters. We looked at the genealogy of Cain last week, and now we're going to look at the genealogy of, of Seth. And let's pick up in verse number 25. It says in verse number 25, And Adam knew his wife again. So he had sexual relationships with his wife. And she bore a son, and she named him Seth. And she named him Seth, for God has appointed another seed for me, she said, instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. Now, that's what the name Seth means. It means appointed or substituted, and that fits perfectly right there. Here was Eve, and she had heard this prophecy that the Lord had given them after they had fallen in the garden, this prophecy about a Messiah that would come through her seed. And so I believe she had two sons. She had Cain and she had Abel. And we saw Cain and Abel earlier. If you had those two sons, which one would you think would be the promised seed? You would think it would be Abel because here was Abel. He was the first prophet, we're told in the book of Hebrews. He was a godly man. And here was Cain. He wasn't so godly. Now, he hadn't sinned like he did later on at that point. But just looking at those two sons, I believe she was pretty sure that Abel was the one who was going to save her from her sins. I believe she thought that he might be the Messiah, one of his children might be the Messiah. And then Cain kills him, and she's crushed. And so she has this third son, and his name is Seth, and so she names him the substitute. He's the substitute for Abel. He's the appointed one. He's the one who's going to save me from her, my, my sins. And she was right to some degree because it was through Seth that a Savior would be born in Bethlehem who would be called the Savior of the world and who would save her from her sin. Now go to verse number 26. And it says, And as for Seth, to him was also born a son, and he named him Enosh. Now that's an interesting name. That means mortal 
or you might say frail, weak and frail. And so she names him weak and frail. She names him mortal. And uh, that's what kind of son he was, apparently. And, and I think, uh, I'm sorry, Seth, let me go back here. Let me read that again. Uh, which verse was I on? Verse 26. And as for Seth, to him also was, this is Seth's son now. I, that's where I messed up. All right. And so Seth has a son, and he names him Enish because Seth realizes and, and more than likely, I think maybe he had these conversations with his mother that maybe through your seed, one might come who would save us from our sins. Why do we need to be saved from our sins? Because we're mortal and because we're frail. And so she, he names his son, uh, he names his son Enish. Now, he, at this point, because he's mortal and frail, this is, he does the right thing. Look at what happened. Then men begin to call upon the name of the Lord. That's the difference between the line of Seth and the line of Cain. They begin to call upon the name of the Lord. Now, verse number one of chapter five. This is the book. Now, this is that word Toledos, the Toledos. This is the Toledos, or genealogy of Adam. This is the dividing line throughout the book, really throughout the Bible, because we're going to follow these genealogies all the way to Jesus Christ. So every section of the Bible really isn't divided by chapters. It's divided by these genealogies, these Toledoths. And, so and so this is the Toledoth of Adam. Now, we're getting, this is being repeated for us because now we're looking at it through the line of Seth. Uh, this is the line that counts. This is the genealogy that counts because this is the line from which the Messiah would come. Now, it, we get the third account of a creation right here. Listen to what he says. In the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Now, we saw that way back in chapter number 2. He made Adam and Eve in the likeness of God. But Adam and Eve marred that image terribly uh, when they ate of the forbidden fruit, when they sinned. And actually, they became more like animals than like God. They had the nephesh, they had the soul, like an animal has a soul, but they had lost that spirit that, that Shekinah glory that had filled them as they were filled with the Spirit of God before they fell. Uh, and so they, their image was marred when they ate of the forbidden fruit. But they wanted that image restored, at least some of them did. I don't think Cain and his descendants and Adam's and others, Adam and Eve's others, other sons and daughters cared much about having their image restored. But this group of people, they longed to have their image restored. And that's the difference between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman, the seed of God and the seed of the serpent. All right, now, the, the difference is that men begin to call upon the name of the Lord. Now, last week, as we looked at Cain, you, you saw how different they were. You saw the seed of the serpent, and you saw the way of the serpent. Remember how the children of Cain lived. They lived away from the presence of God. They lived in cities. Even though he was a wanderer, he went and he built a city. Cities of their own making. Godless cities. And, and they, they, they wandered throughout life. They, they, they wandered through life without any regard for the will of God. The third thing about that marked the seed of uh, the serpent was that they had, they had no regard for the sanctity of marriage 
are the sanctity of life. Remember Lamech, how he immediately took two wives and and how he bragged about the fact he had killed two men? And then the the other thing that we saw, they didn't call upon the name of the Lord. They blasphemed the name of the Lord. Remember how Lamech mocked God and blasphemed God? And I'm sure all of his children and all of his descendants did the same thing. But see, then we get this genealogy of Seth and we the seed of the woman, and they're godly people. And what makes them godly, what makes us all godly, or anyone who's godly godly, is that they call upon the name of the Lord. That should sound familiar. Because we're told over in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the most basic form of the gospel. You know, the most basic form of the gospel is that you call upon the Lord, that you sincerely call upon the Lord. You know what happens when you sincerely call upon the Lord? The Lord answers that call. He always answers that call. When you come to the Lord in humility and you come to the Lord realizing that you're a sinner, that you need a Savior, He's going to answer that call. And that's what these people begin to do. They begin to call upon the name of the Lord. And so we get this this creation account for a third time, and it's, it's a different account because, I mean, it's the same account with a different purpose because uh, even though these people had fallen, uh, they wanted to be restored, and so they called. This is a generation of people who called upon the name of the Lord. You know, that's what I want to be, and that's what you all want to be. We want to be a generation. We want to be a church. We want to be a people who call upon the name of the Lord. Sincerely call upon the name of the Lord. Now let's read the next few verses there. It says, He created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day they were created. And Adam lived 130 years and he begot a son in his own likeness after his image. So he's talking about Seth here. But Here's what I want you Seth was in the likeness of Adam in that he inherited Adam's fallen nature. But Seth was a man who called upon the Lord, and so he was after his image. That's why I believe the his here should be capitalized. He was seeking after the image of God. In other words, Seth knew he was, he was in the, created in the image, or he was born into the image of Adam. He was born with a fallen nature, but he chased after God's image. Now, how do you chase after God's image? You call upon the name of the Lord. You realize that you've been marred by sin, and you call upon the Lord, and you ask God to restore you to your original, to the original glory, and ultimately, that's what he's going to do for all of those who call upon the name of the Lord. All right, now, so Adam begets begets, Seth, and then now let's pick up in verse number four. It says, after he begot Seth, the days of Adam were 800 years, and he had sons and daughters. So we get the age of Adam there, and we get, we get how long he lived after he begot Seth, and he had sons and daughters. That means there are lots of other genealogies that we don't get because he begot all sorts of children. He lived 900 years. He probably lived that long, and they lived healthy, and so they bore children probably all 900 years or close to it. I mean, he lived 
He lived 900, what, 39 years, something like that. What's the total? How old was Seth? Seth was, uh, how old did Seth live? He lived how many? He lived, yeah, at verse 5. Adam lived 930 years. So, so he had a full life to bear children. So they bore all sorts of children, had all sorts, who bore all sorts of children, who bore all sorts of children. And so the conservative estimates of the population of the earth at the time of the flood was some, I've seen upwards to 17 billion on the earth. If you take and calculate how many children these people had, because they were all living to be uh, 900 years. Most of them lived to be at least 900 years. We're going to see that as we look through this genealogy. All right, now look at verse number five. So all the days of Adam, that's, I didn't have to look far for that number, were 930 years. Watch this now. And we're going to see this with every one of these characters that we look at except one, Enoch. And what does it say? And he died. What did God tell Adam and Eve about the forbidden fruit? If you eat of the fruit, you will surely die. When they ate of that fruit, they died spiritually and now Adam, when he's 930 years, I mean, he got to live a nice long life. But 930 years and he died, just as God said he would. Now, when I used to look at these ages of these men that are given to us in these genealogies, I used to think, man, that's, you know, that's fable, that's legend. But if you go back and you study it scientifically and you look at the fact that that, uh, you know, it's amazing, the human body, how it reaches a certain age, and then it begins, at that age, it begins to break down. And it could go right on living as many years as, as uh, uh, God wanted you to live if your body didn't begin to break down. Well, later on, we're going to see that after the flood, that God said, no longer am I going to strive with man uh, for, for 900 years, so I'm going to limit their age to 120 years. So he's at, after the flood, the age becomes like 120 years. Why does God not want to strive with man? Because imagine, think of the most evil person you know. Imagine them being allowed to live 900 years. I mean, man like Lamech, Cain's, in Cain's, the, seventh, the seventh son in Cain's line, a very evil man. Imagine all the evil he devised in those 900 and something years he lived. And so God, after the flood puts a limit on, on the age of uh, mankind of 120 years. Now, when you get to the Psalms, it says that men lived to be uh, 70 years, maybe 80 with their strength. Why is that? Because before the flood, there was, a, there was this, there was, the magnetic field was tight. The magnetic field hadn't begun to decrease at all. Above the earth was this water canopy that filtered out all the harmful sun rays. And so after the flood, when, the, when this canopy is removed and the magnetic, magnetic, magnetic field begins to break down, then we start to have genetic mutations. And so people are not going to live 900 years after the flood. And by the time we get to the Psalms, people are only living like 80 years. God made them where they could live 120 years, but none of us eat the way we're supposed to eat. None of us live the way we're supposed to live, and we live in a fallen world. Even now with medicine, we're starting to see the life expectancy of mankind uh, uh, get uh, older and older and older uh, because of the medicines are offsetting some of the 
effects of living in a fallen world. And so we're seeing age, ages increase. But, but anyway, you can see that how people could live 900 years because God hadn't said at that point that they're only going to live 120 years, and he allowed the body to keep on functioning for 900 years, then it began to break down. So the Lord was in control of that, and I can see where, where all of these people did live that long. All right, now, uh, verse number, where did we leave off? Verse number 6. Okay, let's read 6, beginning in verse number 6. Seth lived 105 years and begot Enosh. After he begot Enosh, Seth lived 807 years, and he had sons and daughters. So all the days of Seth were 912 years. And what happened to Seth at the end of those 912 years? Uh, he, he died. He died. And Enos lived 90 years, and he begot Canaan. Now, the, Canaan, the word Canaan means possession. So uh, uh, Enos uh, apparently considered his son Canaan the Lord's possession, and I think that's a good way to see your children. I, I think every parent should see their child as the Lord's possession. In other words, we're entrusted with those children for a period of time, and then, but ultimately we give them back to the Lord. When they become adults, in some ways we give them back to the Lord. It's our job, God has entrusted them with us, to raise them up in the Lord so that they become godly children, and, and that's what happens in this line that we see of Seth. We see these people who are entrusted uh, to these people and they raise their children in the Lord because they call upon the Lord, their children call upon the Lord. And, and uh, they, they, we get, a, we get a, line, a, a line of people who are saved, I believe. All right, now let's pick up in verse number 10. It says, after he begot Canaan, Enos lived 815 years and he had sons and daughters. All the days of it seems like we're repeating ourselves here. So all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. Canaan lived 70 years, and he begot, and I love this name right here, Mahal, Mahal, El. That's it, Brandon. Brandon's looking at me. I hope he messes up. Mahalel, Mahalel. But that's a great name to call your child, because what it means, it means, may God be praised. And you can see that if you look at this name real carefully, you can see that because you see the word Hallel in there, which we all know means praise because we get our word hallelujah from that. El means what? It means God. Mahalel El. So Mahalel El means may God be praised. All right, and then we go on in the genealogy. After he begot Mahalel El, Canaan lived 840 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Canaan's were, were 910 years, but what happened? He died. The one thing all of these men have in common, actually two things, they call upon the Lord and they die. All of them die except one, and we're going to be looking at him here right now. Then Mahalalel, Mahalalel lived 665 years, and he begot Jared. Now the name Jared means descendant or to descend. After he begot Jared, Mahalalel, now that has to be the name that's in here the most, Mahalalel lived 830 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, but what happened? He died. Jared lived, 100, 
Jared lived 162 years, and he begot Enoch. Now, we saw a guy named Enoch in the last chapter, so you should remember, I know all of you studied this, so you should remember what the name Enoch means. It means dedicated or dedication. And, and, but there's a big difference here between the Enochs because the Enoch in, in the last chapter was dedicated to a city that was named after him. This Enoch, I believe, no doubt, is named dedicated because he is dedicated to the Lord. I mean, he's got to be. I mean, his, his grandfather was, was uh, his daddy was Jared, which means descendant. And, uh, and he's a descendant of Mahalalel, who is may God, who is may God be praised. That's what his name means. And so this Enoch, no doubt, was dedicated to the Lord. And we're going to see that he lives up to that name. Pick, pick up in verse number 19. After he begot Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Jared were 900. And this guy lived pretty close to the age of Methuselah. He lived 962 years, but what happened? And he died. Enoch lived 65 years, and he begot Methuselah. Now, that's interesting. That the, guy, the name Methuselah is interesting. And I think there's a reason he named him a Methuselah. I know there's a reason he named him a Methuselah, because Enoch was a prophet. I mean, when he was born to this earth, things were getting really, really bad at this point. And so uh, we know that Enoch was a prophet. We know that because, and that he warned the people uh, of this coming judgment. We know that because we learn a little about, bit about Enoch over in the book of Jude. Let me just read to you what it says about Enoch in, in the book of Jude in, in verses 14 and 15. It says, now Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied about these men, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against the Lord. Now, who were the men that Enoch prophesied against? Well, men like Lamech. Because what was Lamech doing? He was blaspheming the Lord, and, and Enoch spoke out against that, those blasphemies. And I'm sure Lamech wasn't the only one. And uh, uh, so uh, at this point, only the people in this line are calling upon the name of the Lord. The rest of the world, all of those other children and children of children and grandchildren and all of those other people that were now populating the world are not calling upon the Lord. They're blaspheming the, the Lord. And, and, but here's this man, Enoch, that God calls, and he calls him as a prophet to prophesy against the men of this age. And uh, he doesn't just prophesy against the man of, evil man of his age. He prophesies against the evil man of our age because when he talks about 10,000 the Lord returning with 10,000 of his saints. What is he talking about? He's talking about the time after the great tribulation when that judgment comes and the Lord returns to the, 
to, to the earth to put down evil once and for all. So this is a very, Enoch was a very interesting man and, and walked very closely to God. And so he prophesies not only to his age, he prophesies to our age, but he, in naming his son, he actually gives a very prophetic warning to the world. He names his son Methuselah, which means when he dies, judgment. When Methuselah dies, then comes the judgment. What was that judgment he was speaking of? He was speaking of the flood. Now, this is really interesting. If you've got a pencil and paper, well, you know, I don't want to mess it up, so I'm going to kind of hang to my notes here. But that's exactly what happened. The year Methuselah died is the year the floods came to this earth. Now, we know that because we know that, that uh, Methuselah, we can look down at verse 27, Methuselah, Methuselah lived uh, 969 years, we're told that, and, and Adam was 687 years old when Methuselah was born. So you add that together and you get the year 1656 after creation. That is the year of the flood. We know that because go over to chapter 9 and look down at verse 28 and you see there that Noah lived 950 years after uh, and he, he says Noah lived after the flood 350 years and all the days of his life were 950 years so at what point did the flood come? How old was Noah when the flood came? He was 600 years old, okay? We know from the genealogies that Noah was born in 1056, 1056 years after the creation. So you add that, you get the year 1656. Now, if I haven't confused you, you can go back and calculate this yourself. But, but, but it's accurate. So Methuselah dies. God knew exactly what he was doing, and he spoke through Enoch, and he named him when he dies comes the judgment. So, I mean, if, if, if you're watching Methuselah, you got a clock. I wish we hadn't had somebody like that now. We could look at it and say, when he dies, then comes the judgment. Uh, uh, that would be, that would be uh, really cool to be able to do that. Now, if you really want to have some fun, if you and play, play with these numbers a little bit, you trace the genealogies from the flood all the way to our current date. And if, if, if you go to the year 2000 A.D., let's just go to that year, back to the year 2000. You go to the year 2000, more than likely now, there, there can be some holes in these genealogies. We're going to see that later on. But, but uh, more than likely, that's exactly 4,000 years from the flood. 4,000 years. Now you take the 4,000 years and you add the 1,656 years of the antediluvian period, the period before the flood, and you get 5656. Now if you take the five-day difference between the Jewish calendar of 360 days and our calendar of 365 days, and you add those 70 or so years, to the 19 years now we've lived since 2000, so we're about to hit 2019, you come up to the number 5,778. Now, if you go look on the Internet today and you look up what year are we at on the Jewish calendar, we're 
at the year 5,778. Now, that's interesting. But it gets even more interesting because I believe God works in numbers. And I believe that he's going to work on this earth for 6,000 years, and then we're going to rest for 1,000 years in the millennium. So I believe we got to hit 6,000 years before, or really 6,000 years less, seven years before the Great Tribulation begins, and then before the Lord returns, we've got to hit that 6,000 years before we go into the millennial rest. So if you take the Jewish calendar of 5,778, subtract that from 6,000, then that means we still have 222 years at less seven before the rapture. 207. So the rapture isn't as soon as we might think, if you go along with those calculations. But every name sometime, you're going to see genealogies that doesn't have every name. The, na the genealogy we're looking at right now only begins with Seth. And so if, if you were to look at that genealogy of Seth, you would say that that uh, Adam and Eve only had one son. If you just turn to that genealogy in chapter 5, you'd say they only had one, you know, their first son, rather, not they had more than one son, but their first son was Seth, not because you don't see Cain and Abel in that, in that genealogy. So you've got to be careful with genealogies. And here's my big problem as far as setting dates. I don't believe in setting dates anyway, but Jesus said something after he had discussed the, uh, end times at the Olivet Discord in Matthew 24, he looked at a fig tree and he told his disciples, look, take a look at this fig tree. And, it, and then he said, when you see the, when the time comes that people see the fig tree putting forth branches and putting forth leaves, that generation will not pass until all of these events I've told you about in the Olivet Discourse take place. So, what he was saying, the way I read it, if you believe the fig tree is Israel, and I think the fig tree is Israel, then at the point we see Israel become a generation, then that generation will not pass before all of the events that are in Matthew 24 take place, the, the events of the Great Tribulation. So when was Israel formed? As a, when did the branches come forth? When did the leaves come forth? I believe when Israel was formed as a nation in 1949, 48, 49. 49's when they really officially became a nation, a recognized nation. I was born in 1949. So instead of looking for a Methuselah, you just look to me. When I die, if I'm still around, we still got, we still got time. When I die, <laughs> when I die, it's all over. <laughs> because I'm the oldest of my generation. I got to be. I'm teasing. But it might be 100 years from 1949. It might be 222 years. It's, that isn't what Jesus was teaching in that parable. We don't know that for sure. I got a hunch it was. And I got a hunch we're living very close to the end. And my hunch is that there is some hole, holes in that Jewish calendar. But regardless, 
what, what we see in this is that we're living in the very last days. I mean the very last days. And things are really close. What does that tell us? That, does that tell us that, wow, things are going to get really, really good? No. That tells us that things are going to get really, really bad. And you look at our country and things are getting, and we're the best country on earth. People are marching in trying to get in here. They're trying to break the walls down to get in here because it's so bad outside of here. And, 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 and so uh, as bad as it is out there, it's getting bad in here. It's getting really bad in here. And I think it's going to get worse and worse and worse. And so we've got to expect that. And when things get bad, what do we do? We look up because our redemption draweth nigh. We don't fret over it. But you might have to go through some pretty terrible things before your life is over. Uh, and if, like I say, if I pass on out of here, you know what's happening. You know, you know it's, it's happening that day. Where do we leave off? Let's go back. I just thought those were some interesting things to talk about for a minute. All right, verse 22. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years. That number three, the number of God. He walked with God 300 years, and he had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Now, whoa, Enoch. Man, everybody's lived to be 900 and and you're only living 365 years. But watch this. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. What a man Enoch must have been. We know he's a great prophet because he appears all the way over in the next to last book of the Bible in the book of Jude. He, well, he had to be a great prophet. But to, for God to take him without death, I mean, there's only one other man that I know of, and I might be mistaken here, but there's only one other man that I know of that was taken without death, and that was Elijah, as he was carried up in the, in the chariots of fire. And, and so, I mean, here was this man, and you got to ask, what qualified him to be a man of God? Such a man of God, walked with God in such a way that God just, he didn't die, God just took him. How would you like that? I mean, God just take you right out of here. And, 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 and you got to ask, what did he do? Well, we know he was a great prophet. We know he prophesied against the evil of his day. And he had to stand up. He had to stand up like a man. And, and he had to fight against an e in an evil world, just like we have to do today. And we know that he called upon the Lord. And I think that's at the root of his relationship with the Lord. Is the fact, he called upon the Lord and he spoke for the Lord. And so this raises some theological issues uh, uh, that we want to look at for just a second. I mean, w one issue that it raises, is Enoch one of the two witnesses? You know, a lot of people believe he's one of the two witnesses along with Elijah because they didn't die. They were, they're, they, they're still alive and so they're not in a grave. Well, that, you can blow that out, that theory out right away because who's standing on the Mount of Transfiguration alive with Jesus Christ? Moses and Elijah, who I believe, by the way, are the two witnesses. Uh, because they're, the way they're described in Revelation, it fits them, and it really doesn't fit Enoch. But there's, so I don't think Enoch is, is one of the two witnesses. He could be, but I don't think he needs, it, it, the, the qualification has to be that you were taken and you didn't die, because Moses was still alive when, you know, we'll talk about that just in a minute. We're all alive somewhere. 
when we die, when we pass. We're all, you don't go to a grave and die. You're alive either in Hades or you're with the Lord. All right, so that raises another issue. A lot of people say that Enoch is given to us here in this context as a picture of the rapture. I'm sure you've heard that before, that he's raptured out of here. That almost gives the impression that the rapture is for people who walk the closest to God. So if, 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 if God's looking down, he says, I'm going to rapture a thousand people, or I'm going to rapture, let's bring it into the context of this room, I'm going to rapture 20 people today out of Calvary Chapel of Lafayette. Well, who would it be? Of course, I'd be one of them. I might not be. But who would it be? Who, which, which 20 of us walk closest to the Lord? I mean, how many of us really walk close to the Lord? Raise your hand if you walk really, really close to the Lord. You, you're not there. Maybe you are. I'm telling you. Raise your hand if you walk. How many of you really walk really, really close to the Lord? You might be there. I don't know how your walk is. I don't know what anybody's walk is. I know what my walk is. And I don't walk as close to the Lord as I should. I need to walk a lot closer. I bet I don't walk near as close to the Lord as Enoch walked. So if that's the criteria for the rapture, then, then, then the whole church is not going to be raptured. Every born-again believer is not going to be raptured. Because I know a lot of born-again believers that are pretty worldly, pretty carnal. Look at that whole church at Corinth. Not one of them would have been raptured. The rapture taking place then. So I don't believe that's the picture that's being given here. I believe Enoch is a picture of all the church, of every born-again believer. He's a picture of, because let me tell you what, if you're a born-again believer, you walk with God. You call upon the name of God. If you don't call upon the name of God and you don't walk with God, you're not a born-again believer. Don't kid yourself. You might not walk with him like you ought to, but if you're not walking with the Lord, don't kid yourself, you're not born again. So I believe Enoch represents every born-again believer. What happens to us when we die? When we die. Now, look at all these other guys. They died. Where did they go? I'll tell you where they went. They went straight to Hades because even Abraham went to Hades. Remember that? Because Jesus told the thief on the cross, today I will be with you in paradise. And remember, Abraham's down in paradise and he's telling the... He's telling the, 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 the uh, Lazarus, when Lazarus goes down to the grave, Lazarus lays in Abraham's bosom. So Abraham at that point before the cross was still in Hades. So I believe like Lamech and Methuselah and Noah and all of these other men went down to Hades. At that time, Hades had a terrible place, part, compartment. In a good place. Lamech, the seventh in the line of Cain, and Cain and all of his descendants, they went straight to the bad part of Hades. And so Enoch represents the church. And let me tell you how he represents the church. Because Jesus says this in John chapter 11, when he was resurrected Lazarus from the grave. He said, Whosoever believeth on me, Whosoever calleth upon my name. What did he say? He shall what? Never die. You don't die as a believer. To be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. If I drop dead up here today, you know the rapture's coming soon. No, I'm If I drop dead up here today, before my body hits the ground, I'm with the Lord. 
when we were on that trip and we saw Diane's body there, before she even felt any pain, I believe, she was present with the Lord. And I believe that's the case for every believer. So I believe that's who Enoch represents. Now let's go to verse 25. It says in verse 25, Methuselah, Methuselah lived 100 years, 187 years, and he begot Lamech. Uh, and he, after he begot Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. Now, when you think of Methuselah, I used to think of Methuselah as being the oldest guy who ever lived, but most of these guys lived just about as long as he did. I mean, he was the longest recorded here. Maybe there were some that lived longer, but he lived 969. That is a long time to live. I mean, I wish I had 900 years left. I mean, I would have 900 years left if we lived that long now. I really don't wish that. But he, he what happened? He died. Now, this is interesting because Lamech, the name means conqueror. We saw his name in the genealogy of Cain. Cain had a Lamech. The seventh in the line of Cain was a guy named Lamech. His name means conqueror, but he's the opposite of the Lamech in Cain's line because the Lamech in Cain's line conquered things for himself. I believe that this Lamech was a conqueror in spiritual things, that he took territory for the Lord. He took a lot of territory for the Lord because he raised one of the most important people who ever lived on this earth. You know who his son was? Noah. Exactly right. Now, it's, this is really fascinating to me when you study these patriarchs, the fact that they live so long, when you look at these antediluvian patriarchs, because I believe... They all knew each other well. I mean, Adam lived 240 years after Methuselah was born. He was, he was alive when Lamech was born, and Lamech was Noah's father. And, and he lived, uh, Seth lived 355 years after Methuselah was born. And I believe all of these people, because they call upon the Lord, where do you think they stayed and lived? I think they lived really close to Eden real close to that edge of heaven and earth, which I believe sits near Jerusalem. So I believe they lived in the present day area of Jerusalem, and from that point, they all worshiped the Lord together, and they all knew each other very well. All right, then we finish up in, in the last few verses here, and it says, Lamech lived 182 years and had a son, and he called his name Noah, saying this one will comfort. His name means rest or comfort. This one will comfort concerning our work and the toil of our hands because of the ground which God has cursed. Things are going to change because of Noah. Noah represents a change, a rest that's coming. Uh, way beyond the life of Noah, we know when that rest comes. After he begot Noah, Lamech lived 590 five years and had sons and daughters and so all the days of Lamech were 777 years and he died and Noah was 500 years old and Noah begot Shem, Ham and Japheth you talk about waiting a long time to have children 500 years and they did it right they got to see Hawaii and everything else you know everything before they had any children 
All right, now. Lamech seems to get a bad deal here, doesn't he? I mean, everybody's living to be 900, 930, 969, and Lamech only lives 777 years. Let me tell you what, 777, he hit the jackpot. (laughs) He hit the jackpot because he died five years before the flood. Five years before the flood. He got the best deal. You know, sometimes the good deals aren't what we think they are. A lot of people think about Lazarus being raised from the dead by Jesus. What a great experience that had to be. I like what C.S. Lewis says. Lazarus got the worst deal of all. He was dead and in paradise, and he's called back up to a rotten life on earth. And I mean, here's Lamech. Oh, poor Lamech. He only lived 777 years. A young man, such a young man, and he died. You know, you see how we get this out of context? We get this all wrong. Lamech was so blessed. He's the one who got the bad deal. The tough deal was Noah. Can you imagine living on this earth, getting on an ark, getting on an ark, and all your family gone at that point, most of them dead through death, but all of them wiped out, the whole world wiped out. You get off that boat and you look at the world and it's been flooded and destroyed and you get off that boat. You know what I would have done? I would have grown me some grapes and gotten drunk. (laughs) By the way, that's exactly what Noah did. I wouldn't have... (laughs) Man, I said, Lord, what'd you do this for? <laughs> Why did you keep me? Why didn't you take Lamech and let me die? But his name means rest. And when Noah got out of that ark, he did get to rest in a sense. Because all the wicked people on this earth were gone. Now, there were going to be wicked people again. But they were gone at that point. And he had rest. Could you imagine how? eerily quiet it was just a few animals on earth coming off that ark just how quiet it was how, how you know it's a blessing how you could rest how you could meditate and he had grown up calling upon the name of the lord and so i'm sure he kept right on calling upon the name of the lord so what's in a name you see what i'm saying And when it comes to biblical names, you can't just skip over them. There's all sorts of meaning there for us in those names. I personally believe that in this list of names, if you'll look at it with me again just real quickly, there's a prophetic message. I believe there's a message about a prophecy here in these names about the coming Messiah Jesus Christ, I have no doubt about it. Now, I don't know exactly how to pinpoint this prophecy. I've looked at this over the years and and come up with different ways to look at it, but I see it here. And you should see it here, too, because because when you take this all together, it's a picture of Jesus Christ. I mean, look at this, and you'll, you'll see it. I won't get it exactly right, but let me give you the general idea. First of all, Seth, what does he mean? He, his name means substitute, the appointed one. The appointed one to substitute for what? What did Jesus Christ do? Jesus Christ became, he was appointed to become our substitute. 
to die on a cross for our sins. Why does he die on a cross for our sins? Because we're, 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 we're sinners. We're sinners and we need a Savior. We're like Enosh. We're mortal and we're frail. And so God comes to die for us. And what does God do? He becomes mortal and frail. He takes on a body, a body that can be crucified so that he can die for our sins. And so you, you go down the list and you, and you look at some of these other names and, and uh, you see Canaan. Canaan, why does, why does Christ become mortal and frail? Why does he become our substitute? He, so he can take us as his possession. That's what the word Canaan means. He, so he can take the church for his possession. And what do we say to that? I hate to even pronounce this. Mahalel. May God be praised. That God would send his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. And he became our Jared. Our descendant. And he, uh, he became a descendant of Seth. And he, and, uh, he Jareded. He descended down to this earth. And, and to make us his Enoch, to make us people who are dedicated to him. Only by, through Christ could we become dedicated to him. He was dedicated to us so we could be dedicated to him and so that he can take us out of here to be his bride so that we would never, like Enoch, we would never suffer death. We would pass from death to life. And then one day, he came and he died on a cross. Mortal and frail, he died on a cross. But Methuselah, when he dies, then comes the judgment. The next big event on the calendar, Jesus came mortal and frail, and he took the judgment of sin for the world, but he's coming back to judge the world for its sin. And so when he dies, after that point comes the judgment. And he's not coming back mortal and frail. He's coming back as Lamech, the conqueror. He's coming back as a conqueror. And once he's conquered, then we will be Noah. We will be at rest. So what's in a name? Lots of stuff's in a name. And the most important name ever, the most wonderful name ever, is the name Yeshua, Jesus, which means Jehovah is salvation. The one who started all of this, our creator in Genesis, came to this cross, came to this earth to die on this cross for our sins so that one day we will live forever, his prized possession, at rest with him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you for just the blessings that we have through Jesus Christ. Lord, Yeshua, you are our salvation, Jehovah. We thank you for our salvation. We thank you for your name, that your name isn't just a name, Lord, that it has the meaning that it has, that you came to this earth to save us all. You were appointed to save us all. You came as our substitute to die for us who were weak and frail, Lord, so that we could be raptured from death 
to live with you forever, to be your bride. We just thank you so much. It's all possible, Lord, through your blood. We thank you for what you've taught us today. We thank you for just the good news that we see throughout your word and what a blessing it is to know you and walk with you and call upon your name. We thank you in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name I pray. Amen.